Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from our most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome two, two great executives, Rob Lux, who is the Chief Operating Officer, a former CIO also of uh, Senlar. He actually was also the Interim Co-Chief Executive Officer in the second half of last year. Looking forward to understanding more about that journey. And Mark Wassersug, the Chief Information Officer, also COO of Intercontinental Exchange. Rob, Mark, welcome. Great to see you both. Hi, Peter. Nice to see you. Peter, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, Rob, why don't we begin with you? Um, I first got to know you during your seven-year tenure as Chief Information Officer of Freddie Mac. You were there in the sort of aftermath of the Great Recession and some remarkable work that you did as CIO there, part of the executive team reporting to the CEO. Uh, you joined Senlar in 2017, uh, the leading mortgage subservicer in the United States, uh, and rose to the COO posts and even the interim chief executive officer posts, as I mentioned before. Uh, this COO po post, which you now have again, um, it's been an interesting combination of responsibilities uh, that is going from technologists to something uh, more broad to, to, to run the operations. We're seeing this uh, across a number of leaders, certainly a very uh, small club that you're a member of, but one that's the door is opening a little bit further. And I'd love to get your impressions about uh, about that progression. You, you know, you've you've confided in me on multiple occasions that your dream was to become the CIO uh, as you were going through your your career, places like like EDS and IBM, uh, on your way up uh, the ladder of of technology organizations. Obviously, a dream you you had fulfilled. COO wasn't really actually on your roadmap. It's something that uh, presented itself. Uh, obviously, a role you now occupy. Talk a bit about that transition uh, to a to a new set of responsibilities that was not really one that you were uh, that you had on your roadmap. I'm, to be honest, an accidental COO. I, I was not. This was not part of my career plan. Uh, it wasn't really part of our of the succession plan. But um, when the former COO uh, uh, departed, um, I got the call. And so, uh, you know, I've got to say, you know, I, it, it's definitely something where uh, any CIO who, who moves up uh, has to be willing to get outside their comfort zone by taking on that type of role. And, you know, I, I'm still outside of my comfort zone, to be honest with you. I've been learning here for like two years uh, and, and uh, kind of drinking from the fire hose um, because uh, like when, when I took on the role, it was uh, late 2019, and then like three or four months later, um, March of 2020, the pandemic hit. And uh, you know, as Mark and other folks in the industry know, a uh, significant number of, uh, of homeowners were impacted. The CARES Act, a lot of folks uh, went on forbearance, and it totally changed the uh, industry in terms of the amount of reg changes and so on. And uh, yeah, so I was like learning while the whole industry was uh, uh, changing. And so, you know, it, it really, it, it, it was exciting for me. Um, yeah, in more ways than one, it was very exciting, right? Uh, but I, I think that the path of a CIO to a COO can be a natural path because, um, you know, as a technologist, uh, CIOs are lucky enough to see across the breadth of an organization. If you're in one area of the business, you tend to be looking vertically, you know, within that, uh, function, whereas CIOs, they get calls from across the business areas and uh, support functions, and they they kind of look horizontally. So there's very few roles like that CFO may be another one, right? That's probably why a lot of CFOs uh, get promoted to be CEOs. 
But um, yeah, it, it's just something where I, I think you've got to be lucky enough that the timing's right and you've got to be willing to take the leap. But honestly, you know, I'd encourage people, if your aspiration is to be a COO or CEO, don't, don't do it like me and be an accidental one. You know, think with the end in mind and build your career plan to make sure that you're prepared because uh, you don't want to be catching up like I had to do. Let's talk a little bit briefly, if you don't mind, about that catch-up, Rob. Um, yeah. As a longtime CIO, what were some of the things that you needed to bolster in order to take on that broader set of responsibilities? Technology, I should, by the way, hasten to add, still reports to you. Uh, your successor as CIO, Steve Taylor, yeah. um, uh, reports into your organization. So technology is still part of your purview. What were some of the things you needed to uh, to add to that in order to be a successful COO? Well, well, in the, in the mortgage industry, especially in mortgage servicing, there isn't that much automation. You know, I know ICE is uh, doing a great job, Mark, to try to change that. But Thanks, you know, I, I don't want to like say that you, you can feel free to disagree with me. But I think mortgage servicing is ripe with opportunity. And so, you know, of course, I come in like, all right, let's automate everything. Right. But a, a lot of the uh, different stakeholders in the process are not ready for that. So having to go back and identify, well, what are the processes that could get, uh, you know, could cause risk, could harm homeowners, and making sure that if there's not just a automation, a technology that can automate that, the you know risk out of that, that you've got to put in strong manual controls. You know, there's all kinds of uh, regs. I could spit out an alphabet of FDCPA, TCPA, you know, SICRA, all these acronyms that go with this. But the, every one of them is important. You know, the SICRA, for example, it's like. If you foreclose on a homeowner who's on active duty service, they're serving our country and you take action against them. I mean, that's like you know, death. So we've got to make sure that we're buttoned up. And the thing I learned is, you know, you can't just throw technology at everything. You've got to like make sure that A, your processes are well defined and they're operating effectively. You don't want to automate a bad process. And then two, where you can automate, you've got to implement very, very strong controls, even if they're manual to make sure you're, you, the, the defect rate is as low as possible. Uh, Mark, I want to turn over to you. What an interesting ride you have had at the uh, at, at ICE. Um, so you joined as the 50th employee back in 2001. You had four offices at the time and $20 million in revenue. Uh, Today is 11,000 employees, 55 offices, 40 acquisitions, 12 exchanges, uh, five clearing houses, an enormous data and analytics business as part of this. Um, revenues now exceed in excess of $6 billion. What a, what remarkable growth that has been. I, one of the things I'd love to ask you, as somebody who's actually been an operations leader before carrying the title, we'll get into the, 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 the construct of the CIO set of responsibilities as they apply in your case, but somebody who's had operational responsibilities across a lot of this growth, how have you thought about staying ahead of that? Um, you know, what a luxury to have that you've got so much growth to grapple with. But I'm sure at times it must have felt like you were swimming against the tide or that the water was starting to rise above your chin and above your, your mouth and nose. Talk a bit about managing that, if you would. Yeah, thanks, Peter. So uh, every time you felt like that you actually understood what was going on around you, everything just changed and you immediately had to get that other fire hose and start drinking from that other fire hose. It has been a it's been an incredible journey the last 21 years running operations at ICE, you know, last six or seven years as COO and then picked up, as you said, CIO responsibilities. I, I like what Rob said. I was actually was an accidental CIO 
when I started at ICE because we didn't have a CIO. And the notion of having technology and operations different from each other in different groups was actually a misnomer. Look, we, we have always fashioned ourselves as a technology company that just happened to run an exchange or a clearinghouse or a data business on our technology. So the idea of, of operations and tech being disparate from a CIO slash COO responsibility was just foreign to us uh, altogether. I actually created the CIO role in 2021, so 20 years after we had really started, uh, to actually be able to focus on some things. And we, we can talk about that later on. Mm -hmm. But in terms of staying ahead, look, our biggest advantage was being extraordinarily close to our customers. We came into the marketplace at a time when uh, there was opportunity to actually launch transparency in the exchange space, in the, in the derivative space. And our customers really gave us the blueprint for how to be successful there. So following up on what our customers were doing, uh, we were able to immediately sort of identify opportunities and expand and, and capitalize on those opportunities. What I will say that we did an amazing job at ICE in terms of staying ahead is we did not get bogged down in analysis. We did not have to spend too much time sort of working through committees and doing a bunch of things. With a small organization, you know, when 50, 100, 150 people, we could quickly make decisions. We weren't afraid to take risks in those decisions, and we were quick to implement. When we, and by the way, we weren't expert at these decisions either. When we realized we had made a mistake, we were extraordinarily quick to pivot. So no love loss about who made the decision, what it was. It was turn the tables, let's go in a different direction, let's all follow, so sort of follow the leadership down to the next level. And I think, you know, ultimately that really was beneficial to our overall success in being able to quickly take what our customers told us, implement new solutions and strategies, and execute uh, quickly. The other thing I think we did a great job was, is that we weren't afraid of our egos at ICE in the early days, and, and even today. So, we encourage debate, we encourage entrepreneurism, we encourage differing opinions, but when the rubber hit the road and we agreed to move forward, we all got behind whatever that one decision was. And ultimately, when you have all leadership you know, engaged and ready to move forward on a common theme and a common philosophy, the, the power of the entire enterprise can really work at the advantage that way. I mentioned in, in my introduction of you, Mark, that you've also managed 12, 40 different acquisitions along the yeah. way. So part of the growth has been um, inorganic, if you will. Uh, that That's pretty remarkable complexity to manage through as well. But with that number, no doubt you've got a sort of a playbook in thinking about how best to integrate acquired organizations into your own so that the, the acquired and acquiring parts of the uh, organization both continue to succeed and that you, you know, the, 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 the transactions accretive as quickly as possible. Talk a bit about managing that as an operations leader. If you yeah, will. sure. Look, what we find is, and we've done acquisitions of 10 people to, to three, four, 5,000 people. You know, we acquired the New York Stock Exchange in, in 2013. We've acquired Interactive Data Corporation in 2015, the New York Board of Trade. So many exchanges, clearinghouses, data companies, and then something in sort of Rob's world and now ICE's world, Ellie May in 2020, and we're in the middle of a very large uh, potential acquisition of a company called Black Knight. So while they're all different in terms of size, scale, and scope, what we've learned, and we, we have a bit of a playbook, is that 
communication is paramount. Early communication is paramount in terms of the companies that you're going to, that you're in the acquisition phase for. Everybody's nervous about, am I going to have a job? What does this mean? What's going on? Being as transparent and as open with communications as possible about the why we are doing this, the what's going to happen has been really beneficial to us. And to do that, from an IT and a CIO perspective, it's really bringing those corporate tools together, the slacks of the world, the email communications, the phone systems, because once people can sort of see the knowledge base and understand the internet and be able to communicate with peers across the enterprise, it, it brings that level of anxiety down pretty significantly. It, not to say that it goes away, but that is that is paramount. The other thing that we believe in in the playbook is we we want to seed our culture throughout the organization, and what that means is is get people who have who are long ice who've been at ice for a while and who have expertise go and work side by side with with the newly acquired company with people who are in operations teams in development teams because you know there's a lot of questions that. A Zoom call is not going to answer, an email is not going to answer, but when you are working side by side with colleagues or your new colleagues, and you understand the culture and the way we at ICE think about things, it really helps in sort of solidifying a lot of that, uh, a lot of the, the glue that that is sort of is still flowing through the cracks at that point in time. I have really great messages there. In some ways, you just make it simple, like focus on those things that are going to impact people the quickest, get over that anxiety. I, I, lo I love the way in which you frame that and the way in which clearly you've managed that across a lot of complexity. Uh, Rob, turning back to you, as I mentioned at the outset, for a good portion of the second half of last year, you were the interim co-CEO of Senlar. And very, very interesting. I talk about a, a, a rare club that you joined for a time of CIOs becoming chief executive officers. Um, I wonder, what what did you learn from that that set of experiences? This is, I know, an ambition for a lot of, of your former uh, peers as chief information officers uh, to rise ultimately to the, to the biggest chair in the organization. From that experience that you had, what did it tell you about the your background as a technology leader as a as an important ingredient? You mentioned the CIO and CFO for that matter in terms of the right. advantages of the breadth of 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 your network, your ecosystem inside of the organization, uh, your understanding of the of processes from cradle to grave, and so on. What are some other insights that you drew from that experience that uh, perhaps uh, have you concluding that that this is a pathway that might be available to others as well? I think it's definitely a pathway, especially for the future. I mean, the, the amount that technology drives, uh, especially financial services businesses, I, I think you're to see it becoming more and more of a, a path for people that uh, desire that to be the uh, end goal of their career. Um, you know, the the it was kind of another uh, situation where the uh, CEO retired uh, sooner than we expected, and so like I was kind of you know thrust into the co-CEO role again. I obviously was familiar with the operation by that point, but Sedlar is also a federally chartered bank, and you know what do I know about banking? I you know I go to the bank branch every now and then, but you know most of the time I'm not like you know I haven't run a bank. Fortunately, my co-CEO Jim Darris. He's been in banking his entire life, and uh, he was gracious enough to like share a lot of his knowledge with me. I learned a lot about the other side of the business, which I had been, like I mentioned, drinking from the fire hose about servicing operations, servicing millions of borrowers, you know, hundreds of clients. Um, the banking side was always kind of this black box, right? And so becoming the co-CEO, 
I got to work with Jim and Jim's now our, our full-time CEO, great guy. He, he really kind of took me under his wing and taught me about that side of the business. And, you know, we kind of shared that and like, I was, my job was to keep the operation technology running, but, you know, he was in to help us, you know, make sure the bank was buttoned up and, but he didn't just say, well, I'll take this, you take that. He very much so talked to me and taught me a lot about the bank. And I'm still learning now about the bank, uh, even though I've, um, I'm back in the COO seat because again, he's sharing that knowledge. Another thing I highlight though, is, you know, for folks that want to like, you know, move beyond just the CIO role, um, you know, what, take those risks, you know, get, if someone says, even for a period of time, we want you to go over here and do something different. Um, I, I would, I would do it. You know, if, if you're interested, if you have that curiosity and, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just naturally curious. So I, I always, un unfortunately, like raise my hand and it, it sometimes get myself into trouble. But I, I think it really, it really helps to like uh, broaden your knowledge. And now coming back to the COO seat, I have a much better appreciation for the business as a whole and how things link together. And you talked a bit, we, we, we caught up recently um, uh, where we talked about some of these same themes and you, you mentioned the importance of developing a relationship with the board for the yeah. pathway that you've had, especially the, the most recent stops. T yeah. talk, talk in brief, if you would, about um, the sanctity of that and how that's helped you along the way in achieving you know, both of the, the roles you've had beyond Chief Information Officer. Yeah, exactly. That, to me, you know, and, and I, I think you know, Mark and others would agree that you know, uh, a relationship with the board for any uh, management is, is essential. And the thing is, the board directors, they, they come in, you know, maybe if you're lucky, monthly, sometimes only quarterly. So you need, to, it's your job as management to provide them with the right information and to distill it properly, right? So by that, I mean, you know, speaking to them in bullet points, not paragraphs, giving them uh, useful information in terms of, here's the, here's the key takeaway. We tend to like, you know, board directors, unfortunately, a lot of times uh, get dumped on in terms of you give them a thousand pages because you didn't have the time to distill it. Uh, I, I once had a board director at another place who said, I want every slide to have the heading of what the topic is and a key takeaway in the footer. So I can just read heading footer in the middle. You can have all the graphs, all the information you want that support getting you from the header to the footer. But I need that. And you know, it's like, oh, that sounds easy. It's not easy to put the key takeaway in a little footer at the bottom. Um, the other thing is, I think that, you know, you, you need to, by establishing relationships, by that, uh, when I was the CIO, I created a board technology group, which is an informal group of board directors that were in, interested in technology, but that has evolved into it's a technology committee. It's a formal technology committee now. And I think a lot of companies are shifting in that way to have formal technology committees that focus on innovation, security, et cetera. And you need to make sure that you're providing that information to those directors, both at the board meetings, but also informally. You know, I, having an informal relationship where you can call up a director, you can talk to them um, about any topic is, I think, paramount to making sure that uh, you can progress in your career. You know, let me just jump in real quick on that. Yeah, are, yeah. So Rob, completely agree. And actually, I think you hit on a really great thing that we've done the last few years where we had a technology, we had an operations, and we had the cyber committees focused enterprise-wide. And from a board perspective, we would actually do sort of lunch and learns with the board because there's just not enough time in your board meetings, risk committee meetings or whatnot to really 
give the board members the foundational understanding of how things really work. And, and the benefit of doing that quarterly with our board members in terms of these educational programs was that at the actual board meetings, there was a much deeper understanding of really when, when we were throwing things down in the graphs and the, power, and the PowerPoints, they actually understood the graphs as opposed to just looking at the headers and footers. And it made for much more meaningful, much more productive conversation. So, so highly encourage that. And, and I think the board members really respond well to those types of sort of additional uh, carrots that you can give them. I, I think you're spot on, Mark. In fact, uh, uh, next month, and I'll let you know how it turns out, hopefully well, um, we're, we're actually having one of our board meetings in uh, an operations center in New Jersey across the river here, where we're going to have the board directors sit with some of our call center folks for ride-alongs where they plug in and they listen to some of our borrower calls and how they're handled and get a feel for how the operation works. Um, Maybe overkill, I don't know, but you know they've always expressed interest in like, well, how, how are we taking these calls and what are the homeowners calling about? And so, and we give them to your point, all the stats and everything in the PowerPoints, but until you actually sit and listen to calls, you, you probably don't get a true feel for it. Yeah, that's great. I, I love this thought of going granular, Rob. Uh, and, and Mark, thank you so much for, for weighing in also on the sanctity of, of taking the esoteric and making it making it uh, more tangible for, for members of the board. Um, but I, I want to return, Mark, to a remarkable aspect of your introductory remarks, which was even from the get-go, yours, ICE, yours was an organization that didn't really see much of a separation between operations and technology. That's remarkably progressive thinking for an organization in the early part of this, you know, of the 2000s. Um, you know, there are a lot of organizations that are struggling to get there today. Now, you know, 22 years after you joined your organization, you mentioned how from the earliest days, it was thought of as a technology company that just happens to be involved in financial financial services, exchanges, et cetera. And, um, and so I can only imagine that sort of colored the way in which you all have thought about technology. In fact, to the point where where your CIO role is, is in some ways almost like a misnomer. I, I wonder if you could take a quick moment and number one, uh, describe your purview. And number two, you know, what's in a title? Why, why take on the CIO role yeah. um, at, at this, this, uh, this stage or you know, at the point at which you did uh, some months ago? The COO role at ICE was very technology operationally focused. Again, they were, they were married together. What we found was, and I'll be specific to the New York Stock Exchange and our listed companies. So, so with our, there's an environment of tw- an ecosystem of 2,400 listed companies that that make up 2,400 plus listed companies that make up the New York Stock Exchange. These are all partners of ICE and of NYSE. And what we found was with with 20 some odd years of technology and operations experience, we actually knew some things, and we knew some things that our ecosystem, the NYSE listed companies might find some value in. So we're, we're, we're traditionally the COO and the CIO role were much more internally focused. I was looking to really expand the remit of the title of the role to now take that to a, almost an external perspective. So really work closely with our customers, our listed partners to really to work through some of the expertise and the understanding that we had with small tech, with medium sec, large tech, with operational practices, to really look at that as a consultancy for the NYSE listed environment. So while the the title changed slightly, the the perspective was was taking the expertise that we had as ICE, understanding technology and operations, 
and really just focusing it externally to help our listed companies. So ultimately, it's the same job, but it's a much, much larger role and much more interesting because now we've got touch to not just what's happening in the exchange business of financial services, but a much broader list of, of, of products and services that really benefit you know, our entire ecosystem. That's really fantastic. Well, Rob, Mark, thank you both for sharing some perspectives of the remarkable pathways each of you have had in different organizations uh, and the remarkable purviews you've had, the influence you've had in the organizations you've been a part of. Surely these are really aspirational journeys for many. I'm sure you're inspiring others to walk in your footsteps. So thank you for sharing a bit about uh, the path that you've hewn that others might follow. Great to speak with you both. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you so much.